Welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Wednesday edition, and today we're turning it over to Chase. Hi, Chase. Hello, welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition, and it is everyone's worst nightmare. Jeff Smelser is not on, and I'm actually currently by myself, and so everyone is just going to have to put up with me for the time being. We might see an appearance from Joe Works. We'll just have to see. But for now, we're just going to continue our study in the book of Acts. I have really enjoyed doing this with Jeff and Joe. And so we're just going to continue to read some of the text and talk through it. And we'll get as far as we can today. When we got to the end of Acts 18, one of the things we left off on was being introduced to a guy named Apollos. Apollos was an Alexandrian, which would have been down there on the northern coast of Egypt. And he's described as an eloquent man who knew the scriptures really well. But he had arrived in Ephesus, and he was instructed in the way of the Lord, uh, very fervent in the spirit, it says. And he even knew some things about Jesus, but he was preaching about John's baptism. And we left off with two individuals that we were introduced to in Corinth at the beginning of Acts 18 named Priscilla and Aquila. And this couple is able to take them, take him over to the side and explain the way of God more accurately to him. And so he wants to go over to Achaia, which would have been the Corinthian region that we were just at at the beginning of, book of, of Acts 18. And so Apollos goes off to Corinth. And when we get to chapter 19, we pick up on Paul's journey. And it leaves Apollos in Corinth and tells us in chapter 19, verse 1, that Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. And he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? He asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. So it, there's no surprise to me that the story kind of picks up here with Paul in Ephesus. And it's kind of an unfortunate chapter break. And uh, Joe Worth is on now. Joe, are you cool if we dialogue back and forth? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things we learn uh, from, like we were saying at the end of chapter 18, is that Apollos had just been in Ephesus, and no doubt he had been teaching and proclaiming these things about John's baptism. And I don't find it any coincidence that now in chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus, and he is having to refute the very thing that Apollos was just corrected for. Yeah, ignore the chapter break, uh, and, and that, that has a very natural flow to it. Uh, either these were people that Apollos had converted or somehow connected with the, the teaching that Apollos had done or that others had done that had the same understanding as Apollos. So, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, and so the, the interesting thing to me about this is in verse 2, the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The very fact that Paul asked that question... seem to imply the yes and a no possible answer. Would you see it that way? 
uh, you broke up just a little bit, but I think you were saying that the Holy Spirit, the fact that he asked about the Holy Spirit would kind of give him an indication or at least a clue as to whether they really got the correct teaching of Jesus. Well, or or, or maybe just whether or not uh, the what he's asking about the Holy Spirit, there's a possible yes answer and there's a possible no answer, right? Yes, that's right. So did they receive the Holy Spirit um, as a as like a gift that dwells within them? Like I think it's being described in 238. Or did they receive gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ability to do miracles, kind of like what we see down in verse six? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I think that's what, you know, there's a possibility of one or the other of those questions being meant. And Paul seems to wonder if they had received it. And uh, I think he's talking about what happens in verse 6, which means that when somebody is becomes a disciple, when somebody becomes, when somebody's baptized into Jesus's baptism, even they don't automatically receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul wondered if they had or not, uh, and only upon asking that question did he find out even more information that he wasn't perhaps expecting. Yeah, which is, of course, that they didn't even know whether there was a Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. Right. So that that kind of gives you a look because I think we were exploring this idea at the end of chapter eighteen last week of like, well, what did it mean that he was teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, but he's still preaching about John's baptism. I don't know exactly at what point in time Apollos's information had become outdated. He knew at least some things about Jesus, but he didn't know enough about Jesus to understand what it meant to, to teach about the Holy Spirit. Um, that That's for sure what we're seeing here. Hey guys, I'm in the background, obviously handling the technical, but I can I ask a question? Sure, sure. I, I never heard that approach, Joe. So. You, it appears then that what you're saying, unless I misunderstood what you're saying, is that he was asking if they received the miraculous powers of the Holy Spirit. Is that what you're I, saying? I think that's, yeah, I, I think that's what he's asking, based mainly on after they end up being baptized, they receive the miraculous powers in verse 6. That's excellent, because then that throws more, I would say, um, information on the fact that not everybody in the first century received miraculous powers right okay yeah i i, I think that that that's the case uh, paul was wondering if they had those abilities seems seeming that he was prepared to lay hands on them or whatever uh if they had not and then he gets this extra information they don't even know about jesus's baptism so he wants to teach them more accurately just like priscilla and aquila did with Apollos. Good. Thank you for letting me uh, ask the question. Yeah. So uh, you also kind of get a good summary of what John's baptism was all about in verse four from Paul, that John had baptized a baptism of repentance. And on the surface, you might stop and say, well, what in the world is the difference between that and Jesus's baptism? Because Jesus also emphasized repentance in his baptism. With Acts 2.38, when the apostles preach, it says, Peter, when asked what to do, he said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus's apostles are also emphasizing repentance at baptism. But of course, 
what I think Paul is putting an emphasis on here is that you need to be baptized into Jesus. What, what about Jesus do you need to be baptized into? I think what Paul's talking about is his death. You need to be baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. And that's something Paul explores more in Romans chapter six. So I don't know what your thoughts on that were, Joe, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. We understand from Mark the uh, chapter one and in verse four that John's baptism was for repentance and for remission of sins. But after Jesus died, then people needed to be baptized into Jesus' death. They couldn't be baptized into Jesus' death before that. And so uh, only after that then, which I, I think is really interesting to think about regarding the significance of baptism. Um, and, and this was a passage that really helped to change my thinking when I was first studying the scriptures coming out of a, a denomination that I don't believe was teaching the truth about baptism. I had been baptized by a religious person who said that my, who, who taught me that my baptism was not for salvation, but was rather to join that congregation. He had, he had taught me that I was already saved when I raised my hand and accepted Jesus and that sort of thing. But then, um, and then I was baptized, I don't know, three months later or whatever. And as I began to study the scriptures, I realized that that wasn't true, that that wasn't the right order, uh, that I needed to be baptized for the remission of sins. But then I sort of had that dilemma, wait, but I've already been baptized, so what do I do? This passage helps me to understand that if a person was not baptized for the right reason, they need to get baptized for the right reason, even if they've been baptized previously. This mm -hmm. passage is really strong in that because John's baptism wasn't a man's baptism. It, 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 it was from heaven. Um, uh, it was something that God had instructed John to teach. Luke 7 teaches us. Uh, but the man-made baptism that, that I was taught uh, certainly wasn't from heaven. And so if people who were baptized in a formally God-approved baptism needed to be rebaptized in Acts 19, that helped to show me that I needed to be rebaptized or baptized for the right reason uh, in my own life. I hope that makes sense. Um, it does. Yeah. It, it makes total sense. And you know what's really impressive to me, Joe? I'm probably overthinking this because in a couple of weeks, some of us are are getting together to do an intensive study on the on the book of Matthew. And uh, I did a lot of study on the character of John the Baptist in preparation for that. And I think it's just really cool that even decades after John the Baptist is beheaded, you see some of his followers, but they have a really important quality in them that was in John the Baptist as well. And that is humility and wanting to turn over to Jesus. You see it from Apollos at the end of chapter 18. And if he was a disciple of John, John would have been saying, you know, that there is one coming after him who is greater than him. And once Apollos found who that was, he didn't stick to his guns and go, no, I'm a, I'm a disciple of John the Baptist. He humbly said, well, this is what John the Baptist had anticipated. I need to submit to Jesus. And then the same is true of these 12 men here. And so John the Baptist, even though he's long dead, the humility 
that he taught and exemplified in his character is seen in his disciples. And decades after his death, he is still handing his disciples off to Jesus. Wow. That is really awesome. That, that is, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, if we're going to follow uh, the character and the virtues, what, what, a, what a good example there. Uh, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And so, well, let's keep of, going. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, one of the things that we've seen consistently thus far in the conversions of the book of Acts, we see here as well in verse four, he says, saying to the people, they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. In verse five, when they heard this, they were baptized. There is a connection. There's an undeniable connection between true belief and baptism. Uh, you know, we saw that especially in Acts 8 and in Acts 16. Um, you know, when people hear and accept the teaching, they are compelled to be baptized immediately, right away. Um, uh, and, and here we see that same thought again. They're taught to believe. Well, if you're going to believe, then that means you're going to believe the instructions that he gave in passages like Matthew 28, 18 through 20, of, of the necessity of baptism. Uh, and so, again, just uh, uh, there is, it is a very consistent teaching throughout scriptures for the necessity of baptism. And for one who truly believes, they won't argue with Jesus. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great point. Uh, I do want to take a second just to uh, mention we have viewers on YouTube or other places if you're listening live and have comments, maybe this is something new you hadn't thought about with baptism, or maybe you have some thoughts on this passage or anything we're going to say. Feel free to leave those comments. Uh, Drew will get those to us, or you can ask any question you'd like uh, regarding the text, and we'll we'll address that. So, um, did it look like we had another comment here? Um, yeah. Yeah, somebody had brought up the point that it's it's been heard or, or it's been stated that baptism is just an outward sign of an inward feeling uh, or something to to that effect. And you know, I would just encourage people to study the Bible and see if that's what's taught. Um, what we find consistently is that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins and instead of it being an outward sign of an inward feeling, the idea is that who's that outward sign to? Often it's to other people, the way that it was explained to me when I, when I was misled about the, the purpose of baptism, that I was showing other people that I had already been saved. Well, there's a problem with that. Um, you don't bury living people. And so if I was saved, if I had a new life in Jesus, and then they bury me, that's, that's the wrong order. Um, you know, you bury somebody who has died, uh, and then when they come up, then they have a new life. And so you don't bury somebody who already has a new life. I'm referencing Romans 6 there, especially verses 3 through 7. Um, uh, and then also... Baptism is clearly for the uh, for salvation. First uh, Peter three and in verse twenty one, it's the answer of a good conscience toward God, and so it's not a sign of something that I've already done. Baptism is an answer to God. It's an answer of a good conscience toward God. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 3.21. Yeah, excellent way to respond to that. And also just say the outward feel or the inward feeling. We also need to understand that baptism shouldn't come up from a place of just all of a sudden I feel led to do it, but it needs to come from a place of rational thought. And like you're pointing out in verse four, from a place of belief, they believe in Jesus. They understood who Jesus was. And uh, I've had discussions. I just had one last week, Joe, with somebody who said they were wanting to be baptized. And I asked them why. And they said, because it just feels like the right thing to do. And I, I took them to passages to understand that there needs to be rational reasons why you want to put off sin, believe in Jesus and, and follow him. And once they saw that, they decided they were not ready to be baptized because they hadn't thought through those things. And so feelings are often a, a big player in why people get baptized. And although you should have some feelings invoked in you when you hear about the death of Jesus for your sins, I also hope you can rationally see the need for it and what to do after. You know, one of the the necessity of baptism, the baptism is something that is essential, is that it's not taught in hardly any of the, it's not taught in any of the major denominations. Uh, and so you have the religious world is rejecting this idea that you need to be buried with Christ, that, that that's something that has to take place before you can have a new life. And for those that have that, I think I can I can understand. You know, it, it, nobody says that. Nobody's thinking that except you, you people. You know, that's that's kind of the, the response that I get sometimes. Step back and remember that in Jesus's day, the religious leaders were rejecting Jesus's teaching also, claiming that they had the authority, claiming that they had the truth, that they needed to be listened to, and that Jesus wasn't necessary. Um, and so don't be afraid to go against the religious majority. Jesus himself did that very thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very well put. I mean, even John's baptism, when he was clearly baptizing, people didn't want to come to be baptized by him. So right. they were rejecting it then. They'll reject it now, too. Good point. Good. Well, Joe, do you want to take us through uh, however, whatever part of this next section you want to? What verse did you end off reading? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I left off on verse 7, so we're ready for 8. Yeah. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, Jews, uh, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. All right, so uh, Paul does his very Paul thing, doesn't he? He, he likes right. to go in the synagogue, and uh, this time it, it tells us how long he's there. He's there for a period of three months, and he's arguing, and he's persuading. And it's really interesting to me. You know, Joe, we don't see very many stamps like this where it talks about the kingdom of God. Uh, I think there's only a few of them in the book of Acts, obviously in chapter 1. Uh, I think there's one in chapter four, there's one here in chapter 19, and then there's one at the very end of the book in chapter 28. 
but uh, it's not referenced very often if i'm not mistaken yeah uh not not specifically i i think the idea of, of jesus's authority is is referenced a lot but specifically regarding the kingdom uh right. not as not as often i think you're right um uh, but but this was what he taught um we saw that as you mentioned the book opens and closes with this idea of jesus raised jesus's resurrection and the kingdom of god and so we're not surprised when we get these glimpses of sermon titles if you will uh you know what was it that paul preached when he went into the synagogues well he preached about the kingdom of god um mm -hmm. and so he, uh and he spoke boldly doing that there's no hesitation yeah. some people yeah. believed some well, people didn't yes right. and i kind of like i think you handed toward this but when, when we see kingdom of god or kingdom of heaven i think it is helpful like you said to understand that that's talking about the reign of king jesus um and his rule, I think, is a, is a helpful thing to remember with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Their need yeah. to submit. Uh, yes, exactly. So as a result of that, then it says that all of Asia hears the gospel. That's pretty amazing that that would be the case. Yeah. yeah. If Jeff were here, this is the part where he would bore us with a map. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jeff, if you're listening, I'm just I'm just kidding, buddy. We like it when well, you pull up a map. Let, let me let me mention something here that perhaps um, considering the providence of God and God's wisdom, if you flip back to Acts the sixteenth chapter, um, uh, we read that Paul was trying to go in uh, verse six. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, um, uh, and uh, so. Paul wanted to go into Asia, but God said, no. Now, because they submitted, because they listened to the Lord, uh, we don't know exactly how much long, how much later, but by following God's plan, going through doors that God opened, leaving doors that God closed alone, God's will was accomplished. Uh, I like making that connection. Paul wanted to go to Asia. God said, no, not yet. And now because of doing things god's ways here we get to acts 19:10, and everybody in asia now has gotten to hear about jesus mm -hmm. yeah excellent point yeah that's a that's a great callback well uh I, I also think too we're probably spending more time on stuff than what jeff wants us to but i think it's really cool that paul is able to be in the school of tyrannus here or the lecture hall of tyrannus depending on your translation uh, to my knowledge, Joe, uh, Joe, it doesn't say that he's a Christian, right? Yeah, I don't know know that how we would know that one way or the other, right? Yeah, and so I, I don't know what the nature of Paul's relationship with this guy is. They're friends, obviously, if he's able to teach in a school. But the Lord is providing some really great opportunities for Paul. And when the Lord opens up opportunities and opens up doors for us, we just need to walk through them and teach where he gives them. And so... Paul is able to do that for two years, and all of Asia is able to hear him. So that's that's pretty cool. Great. But you know, Joe, as uh, as Luke likes to do in the Book of Acts, he likes to give us just a little bit of progress and tell us how things are going, and then he'll tell us this big story on how things just went south from there. And uh, you that's know, Paul point. Paul unfortunately does not get to stay in any place too long. We will learn in chapter twenty. We will not get there today. 
that Paul is in Ephesus for three years. He'll state that to the Ephesian elders. But um, let's go ahead and pick up reading and see, see where things go from here. So in verse 11 of chapter 19, it says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick. And the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Well, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, that were doing this. And the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? And then the man who had evil spirit jumped on them overpowered them all and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. And when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. And then this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. So here are some really good reports of the work that Paul is able to accomplish in Ephesus. I mean, it ranges from the miracles he is doing all the way to the teaching of the word of the Lord that's being spread all over the place. But I don't know for you, Joe, but the one that stands out to me from the very beginning is that these face claws and these aprons that even touch Paul's skin are able to heal diseases for certain or for people and evil spirits coming out. This reminds me of Jesus. I mean, people were coming up and just wanting to touch the hem of his garment and they were being healed. This just shows that the sheer power of the Lord at this point. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we had similar things uh, regarding apostles where uh, signs and wonders were, were done through them. Uh, back in Acts 5 and other passages, but this one seems to be uh, just stretching all of that, uh, just really going to, to this point where all kinds of miracles are, are being done. Um, and he's become famous. Uh, so again, if anybody wants to make comments, we, we welcome that as we uh, go along. Comments, questions, in agreement or especially in disagreement. If you see something differently, uh, by all means, uh, we would appreciate help in understanding the scriptures as well. But then that leads to these, uh, my translation, I think yours did as well, says itinerant, uh, traveling. Uh, you know, they're, they're wandering um, uh, in the W-A-N-D-E-R. Uh, they're traveling around. Um, sort of a, <laughs> I don't know, it's like a show that they're putting on. These Jewish exorcists are traveling from place to place, and they see what Paul is doing. They're not followers of the Lord. They're not disciples of, of Paul, uh, not listening to his teaching, but sort of trying to uh, uh, steal um, what Paul has been doing. They think that they're going to, and so they adjure them by Jesus whom Paul preaches. That really seems like uh, a very roundabout way. They don't believe Paul, they don't follow Jesus, but this is this is working. And so let's try that. Boy, what a what a mess they run into, right? Yeah. I mean, how funny is it that this evil spirit, I mean, he make he kind of mocks them. You know, I know Jesus and I know Paul, 
but who are you? Like, what authority do you have? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Paul had been casting out the evil spirits, the end of verse 12, but these guys do not have the authority of Christ. They're, they're not doing these things, um, uh, and they, they don't have faith to do them. And so in, instead of casting out the demons, these people are cast out. Um, uh, they are chased out. Embarrassingly, right? Uh, the end of verse yes. 16, they fled the house naked and wounded. Um, you know, when we think about that visual of fleeing naked and wounded, I think there's a spiritual hint there. Nakedness in the scriptures ever since Genesis 3 is a sign of shame. Uh, wounded is the opposite of being healed. And so, you know, you have this scene of being afflicted by the evil spirits, exactly the opposite of what we see, for example, with the demon possessed Jesus from the cemetery. Uh, you remember, um, I think maybe I've got some uh, internet problems, perhaps. Sorry about that. Um, you remember no, that after Jesus healed him, cast out the demons, that then he was. He was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Um, and mm -hmm. in contrast, these people who don't know Paul, don't know Jesus, uh, they're wounded and naked. Yeah, that that's a really cool contrast, Joe. I had, I had never picked up on that. But yeah, this, this story of Mark 5 is, is definitely a good one to kind of contrast with the way people are responding with Jesus and, and now the way the, the mess they've got themselves in. But uh, isn't it really cool to see that the Lord is able to use anything, and I mean absolutely anything, for the sake of his purposes and for the furtherance of his will? Uh, because when this, it's when this is uh, known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid in the name of the Lord and Jesus was held in high esteem. It's a bad story. Like, these guys are fake. They're phonies. But by their own undoing god is being glorified and the real thing is being lifted up and the name of jesus is able to be proclaimed so i, I just think that's a, a good lesson to see is that it, it doesn't matter what it is i mean god is able to work through it and uh, be glorified it's an it's amazing lesson to see there's a, a, a neat uh, parallel here to uh, verse 17 Fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, verse 17. Think back to Acts 5, when Ananias uh, about the property and the funds that they had at their disposal, and that could have been just terrible for the growth of the, the message of Jesus. But instead, what ended up happening was great fear came upon everybody, and uh, the church continued to, to, to grow, we see in that text of Acts 5, 1 through 16. Mm -hmm. And then uh, tie, tie it to the story you were talking about earlier in Mark 5. You might remember there that the people are afraid of Jesus. But in that story, they try to they chase Jesus off. They're so afraid they don't want anything to do with them. They send them away. Right. And and perhaps a hint there that they didn't they wanted to send Jesus away because of the loss of the swine, um, uh, but here these people are completely converted. 
they burn their magic books in the sight of everybody you know um in in a short-sighted day i might be inclined to say well why didn't they sell those and use that to support more preaching or something like that but of course if you have something that's evil you don't want to sell it to somebody else uh you know those books didn't need to be passed on to anybody else they needed to be burned uh and so this is the idea of you know we we use the phrase of, of burning your bridges right you know you you're, you're not going to go back to those things so they didn't just say well we're going to put these in a box and put them in the attic or whatever no they're not going to go back to them they got rid of them it was very valuable but the lord is more valuable yeah amen and I just love there's little stamps throughout uh, the book of Acts and in the Gospels, too, where you can see repentance without the word repentance being used. And I like mm -hmm. to just call it pictures of repentance. And that, that's what this would be. This is this is someone turning away from their sin and provoking them to action, moving them to actually do something about their sin. And we've emphasized that throughout the book of Acts, uh, we, as we talked about repentance. With the baptism of john earlier but repentance is is a point and a process but when you realize that you're in sin you have to turn away from it it's not just being sorry it's being sorry to the point that you will you will bear fruit in keeping with repentance to borrow some language from john the baptist right. yeah so here where this is taking place so i say that again you broke up what, what city is this? Uh, is Acts 19 Paul again? He's in Ephesus. Yeah. And so I think about the book of Ephesians, and there's several places where this could be talked about. But in chapter one, he talks about their inheritance. Or chapter two, uh, again, inheritance. He talks about, for example, in verse 18 the eyes of your understanding being light, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches? of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I'm reading the book of Ephesians and coming across those passages that talk about wealth or risk uh, and value. And, and there's a number of them in the book of Ephesians. And it, it makes me wonder, you know, if, if I was from Ephesus and I'd been a part of this book burning and saw the value of that and realize that, that that's not my inheritance those are not my riches my riches are in the the rich mercy of jesus that paul talks about in ephesians um i just like that kind of play on words in the book of ephesians uh that i suspect that they would really appreciate based upon this event mm -hmm. isn't it amazing to think about like as it says in verse 20 in this way the word of the lord spread and prevailed but thinking about those in ephesus and like even the smoke that's going up from all these books being burned and people coming and going what what are they doing they're burning these books <laughs> why they follow some guy named jesus you know you know and just the, the literal evangelism that i think could happen just from the visual nature of their repentance and is our repentance are people able to see it is there some kind of visible change in us in the way we act and in the way we live that whenever we repent people are able to see that. that that's a good question for us to ask ourselves amen amen verse 21 yeah when these things were accomplished paul purposed in the 
to go to Jerusalem, saying, I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who administered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And there was a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them to the workers similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of our falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised, her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the whole world worship. And when they heard this, they were filled with wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! So the whole city was filled with confusion, rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. When Paul wanted to go in to the people, the disciples would not allow him. But some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. Most of them, they took Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander, motioning with his they found out that he was a Jew, all in one voice cried out for about two hours, and when the city quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who knows Ephesus is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, these cannot be denied. You ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly, for you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason that we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. When he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. A long reading, but I think it just sort of all needs to fit to get, uh, flow together there. Mm -hmm. That's right. So after three good years there in Ephesus, uh, Paul is is planning he's resolved by the spirit the text says to go through macedonia and achaia and to jerusalem uh but he also wants to go to rome he says in verse 21 and so after sending to macedonia to those that were with him timothy and erastus he stays in asia but there's this big disturbance that happens in verse 23 about the way we had seen the way described or sorry the the, the term the way used already back in chapter 19 in verse 9 and then it had also been used back in chapter 9. Likely, this was a way of them describing the Christians because of what Jesus said, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me in John 14, 6. But in verse 24, there is a person named Demetrius who is all kinds of upset. And it's because the local economy continues to get upset because of these Christians, because of these people, and specifically because now there are those that don't want to buy this idol from him because they don't believe in idolatrous practices anymore. What do you think about that, Joe? 
Uh, well, I think it's kind of funny when you hear people that are describing a false religion, usually uh, even what they say uh, betrays um, uh, you know, some of their claims. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And yet, notice what he says and as he's even trying to stir up his friends at the end of verse 26, that Paul is saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Well, you know, that's sort of a duh moment. They aren't gods. If made with men's hands, they're not gods. Uh, you know, uh, it's like somebody in that in that room should have said, "You probably shouldn't say it that way." <laughs> you know, yeah, that's yeah, not, right. That's not a real good selling point. You know, the, what what we're making with our hands are gods. Um, uh, but you know, they stir every. He, he stirs all of them up. They then stir up the city. Everybody begins rushing together into the theater. People don't even know why they're coming. Um, it's it's just the pandemonium. It's just the excitement. They're they're hearing all this yelling. It's sort of you know following after the sound of the ambulance or whatever. Um, you know, there's some significant that is happening, and so everybody runs in there, and they grab hold of a couple of Paul's traveling companions. Um, uh, that would certainly be a, uh, a moment for Gaius and Aristarchus, right? Um, and the crowd, uh, the uh, the friends of Paul's are not going because it make things worse and likely, uh, possibly, Paul's life if uh, if he's not careful. Mm -hmm. You know, Joe. I also say just a, a theme here. As we saw, I mean, they burned up, what did it say, 50,000 pieces of silver worth of books. Uh, and now they're upsetting the, the idol making industry. And that is what Christianity will do if enough people obey it. It, it would upset economies. I, I've often thought about it. If the world over became, or even a, a good majority of the world or minority of the world, ended up becoming Christians, what it would do to the pornography industry or what it would do to the alcohol industry and just seeing right. how that would upset different people. And here, that, that's what's happening. I mean, what people are okay with Christianity until it starts to interfere with their way of living. Th that's when it will really start to upset people. And we've seen that over and over again in the book of Acts as well. And and we see it today in in so many of the headlines, whether it's regarding uh, drag shows or you know, whatever ungodliness that's being promoted. Uh, when Christians speak out against it, there is a a rage uh, that that is uh, that that bubbles up in those who are wanting to practice this immorality or idolatry. I think there's some parallels. We ought to be prepared for that. You know, I'm not an advocate of going in and just trying to incite a riot in the middle of, of some of these events. Um, but when we teach the truth, we should be very much prepared that other people may riot against us in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. Um, so I, I think just like a couple of lessons to pull away, like Joe was saying, we shouldn't be shocked when Christianity is upsetting people and upsetting others because of the way that we're living but you never see paul back down from this um he, he is in fact he he's wanting to go and address the people and talk to the crowds uh, about it um but 
no matter what, uh, despite what persecutions we can go through, uh, we have to stick to the truth. And uh, we, we can be thankful that there's examples like this with Paul where he was bold, no matter the, the rage in the crowd that he was facing. Um, and you do see a little bit of, of rationale from some uh, in the pro council here that are willing to say, you know, if we're not careful, we're, we're going to be charged with having started a riot here and dismissing it. But uh, what we're going to learn in chapter 20 is that, that Paul ends up getting sent away because of this. Very good. I think we're about out of time here for the day, right? Yeah, that's right. So thank you all for, for joining us. Uh, God willing, Jeff will be back next Wednesday. And so uh, we will be relieved of having to leave the study, Joe. <laughs> Very good. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for listening. Have a good day.